Here we go. What about this? Have you seen this before? Drive-by baptisms. Have you seen this one? Amen. Cleansing the world's sinners one puddle at a time. That's good. That says messing about with tanks outside, you know. Um, I asked my husband to hand-whip some heavy cream. I heard strange noises and walked in on this. See, it's a bloke. It's a man thing. Why bother using your energy? Stick it in the drill. That's the way to do it. I asked my husband to buy six potatoes. It, it's a man thing, girls. It really is a man thing. Last night, I asked my husband to put some spaghetti on the stove so I could start dinner when I got home, and I came home to this. It's it, Gordon. It's a man thing, isn't it? It really is. My doctor asked if any members of my family suffered from insanity. I replied, no, we all seem to enjoy it. I'm five foot one. I asked my six foot two husband to hang a mirror for me. It's a man thing. It really is. Girls, you do have something to put up with. Praise the Lord. Have you seen this one? Which car should go first? Now, I showed these in, uh, in India when we were there last week because, I'll tell you what, it's frightening to drive in India. They tell, they tell me they have a bit of a highway code. They said, well, you know, we do have a bit of a highway code, you know, because you're supposed to follow the signs. And I said, well, I've never seen any. I've been here a week. Can't see any signs. You come to a roundabout, nobody's got a right of way. So cyclists, mopeds, rickshaws... Lorries, cars are all driving at speed at the roundabout at one and the same time. I tell you what, it's scary. So, which car should go first? They didn't know either, look. It's like India. Do you remember what it was like in your first day at work? Do you remember? Imagine being a sheepdog on your first day at work. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God's good. He's given us a sense of humor, hasn't he? You know, our two friends in India, and they've been here, Manish and Natasha, God connected them, so they're Indian. God connected them over here in Leeds with a church, with a, with a ministry. Do you know what the leader's name is? Pastor Curry. <laughs> not Smith, not Jones, not Watson, not whatever. Curry. You know, God's got a sense of humour. It must have. It created me. So we need to get serious because we've got 12 minutes before we have a break. Power, breath, and living water. Just for those, we want to say welcome to those of you who are watching on the web, whether you're watching live with us or whether you are watching us um, after today, which is the 29th of September, 2018. We welcome you to Kingdom Advance Network. And we're talking today about tabernacles and the appointed times of God. Amen. So those that have never heard this before, prick up your ears. Those who have, like they say on the airlines, please give us your attention. <laughs> Buckle up. Okay, so God works in cycles. We're aware of that. We've got our weekly cycle, which is Shabbat, because God wants us to rest. Amen. Adam was created on day six, right? At some point during the day, day six. Adam's first day was a day of rest. There's a lesson in that. In Genesis 1, it says the evening and the morning was the first day. The evening and the morning was the second day. The evening and the morning was the first day. Our day starts with rest. And then we go into it. Amen. God wants us to work out of a place of rest. Yeah. Amen. I, I've got to tell myself that. Amen. Hallelujah. So, weekly, monthly is uh, Rosh Kadesh, which means the new month or the head of the month. Rosh kind of is new or the head of. 
And uh, that's the new month because God works on a lunar solar calendar. We work on a lunar calendar, solar calendar in the Gregorian. And, um, but, but the Jews work on a lunar solar calendar. Annually then we've got Rosh Hashanah. Who was here for Rosh Hashanah? You were celebrating Rosh Hashanah. It was a great time. We had that over in India. We were dancing around, singing to one of the songs, dip your apple in the honey. And they were all getting excited and dancing around. We must have played that song off the internet about three times while everybody was enjoying themselves. Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Exciting that we're into this new year. And then we've got the feast, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles. Amen. So, this scripture here is really interesting. God's because people think, you know, why, why do you celebrate a new moon? Are you, you into star signs and all this kind of stuff, astrology? It says, God says, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Amen? Signs means signal, like a flag, a beacon, a monument, evidence. They're there as signs in the space out of here, yeah, that we look at. Now, seasons, here's an interesting thing, because I was really excited when Sue said what she did. We're, we're preparing for the marriage supper of the Lamb, tabernacles, yes? So, seasons means an appointment, a fixed time or season, festival, an assembly, as convened for a definite purpose. God has purpose for you this weekend. That's why you're here. Because God has an appointed time to meet with you and God wants to do this on a cyclical basis in order that we keep moving upwards and not going round in circles. A cycle is different to a circle. Don't ask me to explain that one. So technically, it's the congregation, the place of meeting, appointed place, appointed time, appointed assembly, an appointed solemn feast. This is really important to God. And you know what? In the new kingdom, we're still going to be celebrating these things. After Armageddon, it tells us in Zechariah 14 that all the nations will go up to Jerusalem. How on earth is God going to do that? Fortunately, the new Jerusalem is going to be bigger than the old Jerusalem <laughs> because multiplied millions are going to go to Jerusalem. I'm glad I'm not working with the logistics on that one. <laughs> Aren't you? Let God fathom that one. But it's an appointed due season, a set time. And normally, they've kind of got 12 months apart from their leap years because we have a... Uh, a extra day in our Gregorian calendar, don't we? But you do know our Gregorian calendar didn't come from God. Did you know that? It isn't sacred, our calendar. It came from Rome. Julian got it set. We worked with the Julian calendar for a, for a while, Pope Julian, and then Pope Gregory. Then he came and adjusted it a little bit. Um, so God's got his calendar... And Rome has got its calendar. All of us in the world follow Rome, whether we like it or not. Apparently, Greece hung out for the longest. They only in the 20th century sh shift, shifted, shifted, getting used to my new implant tooth. It shifted in, uh, in the 20th century, 1900 and something, to the Gregorian, so it could just be like everybody else. But we are following a whole load of traditions of man in the church. And they ain't God. They're not God. They're not on his time frame. They're not godly. They're not sacred at all. They have got roots that are coming from an ungodly place. Amen. So when you're getting onto God's calendar, you can just be excited inside, even if other folks don't see it, one day they will see it. Because we're, we've decided we're getting back to the Bible. Is that a good place to start? And Dave did a fantastic teaching yesterday. If you weren't here, please go onto the web and catch up on that one, a great one. Uh, and uh, it, it's really worth watching that. 
And so they have a month 13 and a DAR 2 to be able to catch up because most of their months are either 29 or 30 days. So periodically, they have to catch up their uh, calendar so that they're in tune. Yes? So we've got three feast seasons and seven feasts. Seven is the number of completion, you'll know. Because God said, I want all the males to come to Jerusalem to honour me three times a year so they can get into this cycle. It's a man's responsibility in the home to lead his family. Gone quiet on me. Come on, ladies. At least you should be saying, Amen! Because often the ladies lead the men. It's our responsibility, men, to show an example to our wives and children and to others to say, we are going to serve the Lord. Our household is going to celebrate God's feasts. Yes, one or two of you are on that one. The rest of you will catch up. So we are in the year 5779, and Maria is going to do a fantastic preach this afternoon on that, so I'm not going to move into that. I'm going to talk a little bit about tabernacles, and we're going to have a break, and then in the second half, I'm going to do the rest of it. So I hope you can see this one here. Nisan is the first month, and this was the month that Israel, in their tribes, which also means armies, came out of Egypt, came out from under Pharaoh, and it's really prophetic for us as we came out from the kingdom of darkness when we became born again, when we received Jesus Christ. We came out of his kingdom, the enemy's kingdom, and came into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of his love. So we came out of that dark place into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, and that's what that depicts. And so we know Jesus died at Passover. We then have unleavened bread. Leaven speaks about sin. There was no leaven in Jesus. It was said of him at his trial, I find no fault in this man. There was no leaven, no sin in his life. And it was on the 14th of Nisan when Jesus became the Passover lamb. And then at first fruits, three days later, Jesus was resurrected because he is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. So because he rose from the dead, we will rise also. Amen. He's our guarantee. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, we've got no hope. I remember reading Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He was so irritated in college that Christians were so happy people. He said, I know, I'm going to fix them. I'm going to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then when I've disproved that, they'll all then be miserable. They'll have no future, no hope. He dug into that completely and he wrote a book in the end, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He said, in a court of law... You can prove categorically that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Hundreds of people attested to the fact that they saw him, they touched him, they saw him eating food afterwards. He is alive. He is the first fruit of those who have risen from the dead. So we have great confidence that if we die before he comes back, we will be resurrected. And if we're still around when he comes back, we will go to meet him in the air. Amen? And all of that. Well, actually, when he comes back, we're coming back with him. But, you know, just don't worry too much about that. So that is the one. Then 50 days after we've got Pentecost, we celebrated that. And now we're into tabernacles. Feast of Trumpets on Rosh Hashanah, the new year. Yes? And then we've got Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then Tabernacles itself, uh, booths and all of that. So we're just going to do one or two more different slides. So the Feast of Trumpets there, Rosh Hashanah, God said to Moses in Leviticus, speak to the children of Israel, saying in the seventh month. Now, did you see the seventh month? Let's just go back to this one. Nisan month one, Ayar month two, Sivan month three, Tamaz four, Av five, Elul six, Tishrei 7, yes? Good one. So you can have head of the year here, 
but also the first month of the year there because we have January, don't we, the new year, but we have the new academic year in September. Is that right? If we can have that, God can have what he wants, can't he? (laughs) Who's going to argue with God? He can do what he wants. So, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. God's really into us resting. Because we're, you know, we're too focused on work, aren't we? We don't rest enough. So it's a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. Now, we need, I do need our shofar blowers ready. Because we're doing an activation after the break. Amen? Because you're going to get hit by the sound of the shofar. So, blowing the trumpets, a holy convocation. Convocation is something that's really important that we come into. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Yes? So, we're, we're going to be able to do that, but this is really important. We've got the, 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 the uh, biblical reference there where God says that's what you're to do. Now, because of this... Uh, thing I've told you about in Genesis where God's day is evening and morning. Our day is morning and evening, isn't it? That's how we see ours. And we think the Hebrews are really strange because, or Jews, because evening and morning. Well, they're the only ones that stuck with God on that one. So in 2018, this year, in 5779, the... Uh, Rosh Hashanah was on the evening of the 29th of Elul and the first day of Tishri. Do you get that? Because the day of the first of Tishri, the first day, that's the, it starts on the night before. Does that make sense? So we've all got that. Nobody's confused. Nobody's admitting to it. Okay. And so... That was the evening of the 9th and 10th of September this month. So that was Tishri 1. We have the days of awe between the two of those, from the 1st to the 10th, the days of awe. Time for reflection. And then on the 10th day, which obviously starts on the evening of the 9th, naturally, yes, is uh, Yom Kippur. Now, and that's about a covering. You'll also know that this is called a kippah. Yes, not a smelly fish, it's a covering. And it might be in these notes, I can't remember now whether I've got a slide on this because I've mishmashed it all this morning, I'm just hoping it all works right. But anyway, that's a kipper. Yes, and that was the 18th and 19th of September, evening of the 18th going into the 19th. And now we've got tabernacles, when was tabernacles? Last weekend. So it started on Sunday evening last week going into Monday the day. That was the start of it. So we're still within it because it was a seven-day feast. And God said you're having a Shabbat on the first day of tabernacles and a Shabbat on the last day. Obviously, you've got to work in between because we've all got chores and tasks and things that need doing. But he said you set aside the first day, you set aside the the, the, uh, the last day, and both of those are Sabbaths of rest, but I want you to celebrate because, you know, we've had the harvest, it's all been brought in, and we want you to get excited about all of that. Now, just quickly, it is very prophetic because the Feast of Trumpets, when might Jesus come back? If he fulfilled those first ones, you might, you might not, I didn't mention it, on the circle there where I showed you the wheel and the months, it said underneath that of the seven feasts, four of them have already been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled Passover completely. He fulfilled Pentecost because Holy Spirit came. But Tabernacles has not prophetically been fulfilled yet. So when might Jesus come back? Or when might, the, when might we get called up? That's why the church has got to get on God's page, otherwise they'll miss it. So, 
immediately after the tribulation, this is in Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Hallelujah! Woo! What about this one? From the, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. I wonder which denomination that might be. Oh, no, let's, let's get back. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Here's one in Corinthians. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not like some do in church. But we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Aren't you glad about that? I'm glad. I'm ready for a change. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Ooh, it's interesting. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Hallelujah. That's coming. That's coming. That's why we've got to prepare the church. They've got to be ready. But I'll tell you what, things are going to change in the earth realm and if we don't prepare the church, Christians will flounder when a quarter of the world's population is wiped out. When over a billion people are destroyed through famine, pestilence, war and all that stuff, they won't understand the God or the Jesus who they've been worshipping. They'll flounder because they're not ready. There are Christians already who live on their emotions and decide whether they're going to be in church or not be in church, if they get offended or not be offended, whether they're going. Not many Christians are led by the Lord. Not many of them follow the word. Sad indictment of believers. We've got to prepare them to be mature, to be strong in these end times. Otherwise, they will not stand. Amen. So then, the Day of Atonement. What about this scripture in 2 Corinthians? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There will be a day, a judgment day, amen, for all of us. And then tabernacles in Revelation 19, Jenny's favorite scripture. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, These are the true sayings of God. It is coming. It is coming. Amen. So we've got that future coming. So in Leviticus 23, God says, On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Did you know God is good? He is into feasting. When you look at the... The three feasts, the three feast seasons, there, there is a small amount of kind of uh, fasting and introspection about getting my life right before the Lord. So your day of atonement, Yom Kippur, is the day of fasting. It's the time to really think about uh, have I been living how I should have been living? Is there any unconfessed sin I need to deal with? This is why we talk about the cycles, because God is ensuring that on a regular basis the people are making sure that their lives are right so that they keep moving upwards in God. Yes? Because we need those times when we are, again, just told, you know, 
Is there anything that we need to deal with? Are there any offences that we've got? Is there any issues that we have? Is there offence towards God, offence towards other people? You know, where, 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 what are we doing? Is it, are there things that we've not done that we should have done, sins of omission? Have we done some things that we, you know, we, we need to repent of? It's having those times. But overall, God wants us to enjoy our salvation. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to feast. He wants us to rejoice in the goodness of God. Because God knows there's lots of things that come against us that knock the stuffing out of us. Yes? You know, you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror and you think, goodness gracious me. You know, you either say, you know, good Lord, it's morning, or good morning, Lord. You know, you're either excited or, did I really look like that when I went to bed last night? So, God knows we need to get, you know, stirred up and, and really rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is your strength, it says in Nehemiah. So, we, we need that. We need to be able to keep, like David said, you know, uh, building myself up, you know, getting excited, getting into the things of God. You know, I would have been depressed, said David, you know. I really would have been down and out had it not been for me really getting a, a bigger vision and not just being introspective again about what's happening to me, poor old me, Saul's doing this, Saul's doing that, they're trying to kill me, you know, getting a bigger vision outside of myself in order that I can get excited about what's happening and get beyond poor little me. So, we're celebrating Sukkot. It, the, the word Sukkot is plural. Yes? For booths, the feast of booths, feast of tabernacles, or the feast of ingathering. The Lord said to Moses, the feast of the Lord, even these are my feasts. Yes? So, they're God's feasts. They're not merely Israel's feasts. He didn't say, this is just for you as a group of people. Only you can celebrate it. Because if you think about it, I was just thinking this morning when I was uh, getting myself ready for, for today, when they were in Egypt, uh, even when um, Jacob came with his family into Egypt, because Pharaoh had said to Joseph, bring your family down, you know, we're in a time of famine, bring them, we'll give them a place in the land that can have it. There were 70 of them, and they weren't all of those sons. They weren't what you would call the early Jewish nation, were they? Just the sons of Israel. There would have been Gentiles who were a part of that grouping of families, either as servants working with them, people that were part of the staff, if you like. There was Gentiles in those early stages. And when the people left Egypt it was probable that there were non-Jews that travelled with them. Do you get that? So when God said to that group of people, these are my feasts, it was for Gentiles and the Jews themselves, the Israelites, but it was God's feast. Are we settled on that? Because sometimes people think, well, of course, um, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles, they're Jewish things and they're not for the church. But you'll know, if you've been tracking with us for a while, for the first 300 years of the church, Jew and Gentile together celebrated, they enjoyed each other's company, they were in and out of each other's homes, worship was going on in the homes. Wherever the gospel went, uh, it, it, it caused pandemonium because people's lives were turned around, they were excited, they were healed, they were delivered, the dead were being raised, but then the religious people rose up and persecuted the early church, the early Christians. Wherever the gospel went, it turned things around, amen? It stirred up, because you're always going to get the sons of the devil, they're going to be stirred up, and there's nobody more than the sons of the devil than the religious people, yes? It was the religious people that Jesus said, you're like whitewashed sepulchres. 
You travel over land and sea to save one person, and when you get them saved, you make them twice the son of the devil than you are. Woo, what a statement for the son of God to make to nice religious people. But he was telling it as it is. Hello? Religion doesn't save anybody. It's an encounter with Jesus Christ that turns your life around completely, takes the heart of stone, makes it a heart of flesh, and gives you a new personality character because you are like Jesus, aren't you? All of you. Turn around to your neighbor and just say, you know, you are like Jesus. You're you're full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. You're full of all of that, aren't you? Husbands, wives, children, that's who you are. So, we, we're on that page, aren't we? People watching today. We've got Ken Tucker watching, Liz Larkham, our known Kenee Muss. You have contacted us. We're glad you're on the web and others of you. Thank you for connecting with us. These are not Jewish feasts. They're gods. Amen? And we don't know what God is, but we know Jesus is Jewish. Have you got that? We know God's not a man. He, he has male and female characteristics. Yes? But when God made Adam, he took a rib. He didn't take part of Adam's personality. He didn't take all the female bits out of Adam's characteristics. And Adam to the rib... Add them to the rib, yes, to make a woman, yes? But he didn't take a bone from the head. He didn't take a bone from the foot. He took a a rib right next to Adam's heart. And Adam might be a name that we use for a man today, but it just basically means red earth. It's the substance from which God made this person and he breathed into his nostrils. It doesn't say God bent down because God's 10 feet tall. We've been made in God's image. So God must be whatever we are. I mean, Adam, was he six foot? Was he six foot two? I've always wanted to be taller, but I'm about five nine, so I'm stuck with that. Gravity is making me, I think, shorter every year. But never mind. Whatever it was, God breathed into his nostrils. Amen. The breath of life. So he breathed into that clay being and breathed life, eternity into it. And then when he found that there was no one comparable to Adam, he thought, I can make an improvement here. And he took a rib out and made a woman. Oh, you missed that one, ladies. Come on. A woman is a man with a womb. Called her Eve because she was the mother of all living. So a woe man is a man with a womb. Have you got that? So men and women should both have the characteristics of God. And he created them male and female. Male and female. Anyway, let's move on quick because we're running out of time. So why celebrate the feast? We celebrate them because they are holy convocations. And it means something called out, a public meeting. Also, again, going back to Sue's comments, it's a rehearsal. Tabernacle is a rehearsal of the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's why we ought to be excited. Not religious and just stand there like a rabbit caught in the headlights. Yes? We're going to be animated. We're going to move and we're going to dance. We're going to get excited. If you're not excited about your relationship with Jesus, get born again. Stop being religious. Get Jesus in on the inside of you. Amen. 
And if you don't speak in tongues, get someone to lay hands on you so you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues and get that whole thing going. Amen. So, it's from a word meaning to call out, to invite, to pronounce, to summon, to call and commission, to appoint, to call and endow. So, it was a time to bring the people together again, to commission them ready for the next season. Now, I've noticed that we've got some oil out the front here, so I think Jenny's got some plans. Was she ever in another zone last night? If, if you didn't fall down, she made sure you went down. Because I think she wants to make sure there's no resistance in you. So if some of you are resisting the spirit a bit, she's going to make sure you go. So that at least you get some carpet time. I just found it was easier when I used to get in a line and you close your eyes anyway and, you, you, you know, you're not quite sure. Just go. Just go and enjoy it. Lie down for a bit. And then just open one eye just to see what's going on. And if you think it's right, just close it again and just stay there a bit longer. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. So, at the beginning of the new year, these feasts are designed to free us from Satan's oppression and restore us to the fullness, yes? The fullness of what God has. It's important that we do that because, you know, some of us think we're great, aren't we? We're doing fine. I would think that most, most of us feel as though, well, I'm rubbish. Do most of us, I'm sure most of us feel less than. I don't think many of us struggle with too much pride. I've made it, I'm great, aren't I better than everybody else? I think most of us are the other way. I know I am. You know, I don't do this enough, I don't do that enough, I don't do the other enough, I do too much of this, too much of that, too much of the other. You know, so we need to be able to balance those things out so that if there's anything that, that is an issue there, Holy Spirit will show us specifically if there's an issue. If you've got a general thing, well, I, I feel unworthy, that's the devil. Generally, that's Satan. He's trying to pull you down, make you feel bad. So if you've got a general thing, get out of that one. He's turned my morning into joy, dancing, all of that stuff. Turning my sorrow into joy. That's what it's all about. If it's the Holy Spirit trying to outline something that needs adjustment, it will be specific. It'll show you exactly what it is. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our known sin... If we confess that, he's faithful and just to forgive us of the things that we're not aware of and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, that's the deal. If it's something specific, you can repent of that. If it's something general, it's more likely going to be the devil trying to make you feel bad. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't pray enough. Whatever, whatever. Deal with the devil, stamp on him and get into a place of praise. Praise your way through that junk. Because God wants us to get excited. I trust that you've picked up on that. So God purposed them to bring us into that experience of revival every year. That's why he does that. So the appointed times are like us going on an escalator going up. They're drawing us into God's presence. That's the whole purpose of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. So God wants us to move through four steps to revival every year. First of all, trumpets. Now, where's our shofars? I do need you out here. So the shofar is blown on this day, Rosh Hashanah, and it's also known as the day of the shofar blast. Yes? It's the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. They're commanded to hear the blast of the shofar on both days. That is Rosh Hashanah itself, right? First day of Tishri, yes? Yes? We got it? And also on the Day of Atonement. Now, both of these days have gone because it's not easy to get our gatherings together exactly on those days but we are here now and we want to be able to um, enjoy this process. Now, 
Why is this important? I've got a whole teaching on what the shofar does to our mind, soul and spirit, but especially our body when we hear the shofar blast. Now, you've, you've all heard of um, when you've got a fright or something happens, you go into a fight or flight mode and adrenaline is released into the body. You've heard of adrenaline, you know, that gets pumping around the system when something happens and you might felt a bit lethargic before this process, but something kicks in. It's the flight fight or flight response. So there is a threat, there's an attack, something's happening to you, you're going into survival mode and things start happening. The brain, something happens in the brain. The brain processes the signals beginning with the uh, uh, amygdala in the brain and then the hypothalamus. It's often referred to as the brain's brain, the hypothalamus is just uh, in, in the front part of the brain. And then... Uh, we get the pituitary gland that starts secreting various hormones. Now, you're going to say to me, aren't you, what's ACTH? I know you're going to ask me that. So I went on the internet so that we would all know this. It's an important component of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and is often produced in response to biological stress. Now, you're going to find out that the shofar blast is, going, is designed to stress you to some degree. Not negatively, because it's going to be a wake-up call. But it's, it's designed to begin to get your body moving. You get the adrenaline pumping. Get the glands, the hormones, and all of that. Did you know you've got happy hormones in your body? And exercise, that's why dancing is so good at this time, dancing releases very positive um, chemicals into the body. They're called happy hormones. They do you good. Okay? Um, Alton Towers. Anybody been to Alton Towers? Uh, the only times Jenny and I have ever been there, we've been on the swans, which go on the water. Okay, you will not see us on the log flume. You will not see us on some of these other things that, that, that drag you up and then drop you down. You won't see us on those because I will guarantee from you that the chemicals that get released in our bodies when we go on them will be detrimental to our being, to our well-being. Whereas others of you will love the thrill and you doing the very same thing that we're doing will release positive chemicals into your body. Because it's perspective. We talked last night, Dave talked about perspective as well. Your perspective on something will either be positive or negative and you can have the same things done to you that gets done to me and both of us can respond very, very differently because of how we wired, what we enjoy and all the rest of it, yes? So when we're under threat, that starts releasing uh, corsodil and um, adrenaline and that helps us short term, but if you're living on your nerves and worry and anxiety all the time, it will break down your immune system, it will make you prone to sickness and disease and all the rest of it. That's why it's important to get your happy hormones going. That's why it's important to dance in church. Did you know that? You didn't know that before, did you? You should go out happier than when you came in. Because you've released chemi- positive chemicals into your body. It's, it's true. Okay? So there's some words in there. I don't know. Who on earth makes these words up? And then it expects other people to be able to pronounce them. Okay. So you've got some of that. Now, these are some of the effects on the body. Okay? So it's releasing uh, cortisol and adrenaline. That's going to be pumped into the body. Okay? Here's some of the effects of this. Heart rate increases. Uh, Bladder relaxation. I don't know whether that's good for us or not. (laughs) Some of us men that are getting older and have got prostate issues, I don't know whether that's good for us or not. I don't know. Tunnel vision, because we're getting focused now. 
Okay, we're under threat. Somebody's nicked me handbag or somebody's trying to do this to me or whatever it is. Okay, we're under threat. We're getting focused, yes? Also, we can be shaking a bit. Well, Christians tend to do that, don't they? Under the anointing, shaking, dilated pupils, flushed face. Is the person next to you got a flushed face? Okay. Um, I'll tell you what we're going to do. If you uh, guys with the shofars, if you kind of get around us. So we have some at the front, some at the side, at the back, just so that everybody gets this because this is important on the next three. Okay? You can end up with a dry mouth, slowed digestion, and also apparently hearing loss. Now, it's definitely going to be the case if someone's blowing a shofar next to you, it is going to affect your hearing. I can guarantee that. You might want to put your fingers in your ears. I don't know. Uh, Gordon's getting ready already. Okay. So we're going to have a wake-up call. Is that okay? Are you ready? Okay. Now, I think it's better if you all stand up because if you sit down, you're in a passive mode and I want you to be in very much an active mode. Okay. Now, if you want to, you can close your eyes, whatever. This is a wake-up call to your being. It's going to hit your spirit, so I want to have a good 30 to 60 seconds. Okay, but you can take a breath. (laughs) All right. I don't want you passing out, Angela, or any of the team, okay? But what I want you to do, I want you to take this thing in, okay? It's a wake-up call, so your whole being is going to be alerted. Okay? So... God's initiated this thing. It's going to call us to attention. So are we ready? After three, three, two, one, go. You know, when the people came out of Egypt and they got to Sinai, it said that God came and blew the shofar and the people were terrified. They heard this sound. Maybe they were in their tents. Maybe they were asleep. This was probably early morning. Who knows? But God blew a shofar. Can you imagine that sound that went out from heaven? Fear came into the people. There was a wake-up call at Sinai for those people to be called up because the Torah was about to be given to them. They were about to become a nation under God, to be a holy nation, to be a, a, a nation of priests for the whole world. They blew it, they missed it, but that wake-up call came. Hallelujah. Let's, let's take our seats. The shofar blast is really important for us. It's there to bring us to attention. Was that good? It's still ringing in my ears. Thanks, Angela and the team. That was great. Oh, it just, it begins to resonate. It's, it's making something happen. So I hope you get that. I mean, Google it, uh, the whole thing, because it impacts the body and it's supposed to. It's to impact your spirit. It's to impact your emotions and all of that. To pull you together so that you can say, this is the direction I'm going in. Okay, God, thank you for that wake-up call. Thank you that you're bringing these things to my attention. I am going to change. It's good. Jeremiah 29. Then you will call... Let's read this together. Come on, let's not be passive. Ready? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. These are the days of awe between Tishrei 1 and Tishrei 10. Days of awe, seeking God. 
Now, you can do that in any case. And, and we're, we're, we're people that have that lifestyle of wanting to spend time with him on a daily basis, aren't we? Seeking him, knowing that he's leading us, knowing that he's directing us. So that's key. So we've got those days of awe. Then the third thing is this day of atonement, the restoration where in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, as I say, it will be something specific if it's Holy Spirit showing us we need to make an adjustment. If it's general, usually that's the devil trying to bring condemnation on us and there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're freed from condemnation, get rid of that junk. But if it's specific, Holy Spirit's at work, he'll get you to make that confession. And if you need to get with someone else to have someone agree with you, do that. But don't tell the world. Hello? Don't go telling everybody whatever the issue is, but get with people that you trust, that can pray with you, break free from that, get accountability, and then you can move on in God. Amen? Our men here in the men's meeting, um, we're looking at some software that we can put on our phones and our computers. I think it's called Covenant Eyes, where we can be accountable one to another for what we're looking at on our computers and on our uh, phones or iPads or whatever. Because we need accountability as people. There's so much stuff that's coming to us on a daily basis that tries to distract us, tries to make us compromise, and we've got to stay on the ball. So the Day of Atonement was a day to put our sins under the blood of the Lamb, be restored to God and His purposes. Amen? The blood went onto the mercy seat. Aren't you glad that the mercy seat sits on top of the, the, the box, the Ark of the Covenant, where the Torah, the law of God, is in that place? Aren't you glad that God put the mercy seat on top of the law because mercy triumphs over judgment? And the blood was applied to the mercy seat. Hallelujah. Okay, so that fourth thing is the Feast of Tabernacles where the people were encouraged to make booths. And if you were in uh, Israel, if you shot over there today uh, with uh, one, of, one of the jets going out of one of the airports and you went there now, you would see on people's balconies, outside restaurants, in various different places, you would find all kinds of sukkahs. Uh, Jenny and I have just not been organised enough this time to be able to get something. Uh, John, that's your task maybe, just you know, getting a few things out the back there and um, making a, a little, little shelter. You can do that. We've, got, we've heard of so many testimonies of people who've just got a simple little structure but then have gotten, gone and sat in there with friends for a drink or uh, to have a meal together and God does come. If you've got faith that God's going to come and tabernacle with you, his presence will come there in that place. Again, it was a reminder. All of these things are there to remind us, but here's the other deal. It's there so that our children can be a part of the whole process and the stories can be passed down and the meanings of those things passed down from generation to generation. God said these feasts are for all the generations. So the children are involved in Passover. Those of you who've had the, uh, the, the Passover meal, the Seder meal with us, you'll know the children are very much involved in that process because the message needs to go from one generation to the next. One of our favorite scriptures is, one generation shall shout, shall shabak your message to the next generation, shall shabak your name, shall shabak your word to the next generation. It's important that the message keeps being passed on. And the whole thing with tabernacles where the children are involved in making a sukkah, it's so that they ask the questions, Mom, Dad, why are we doing this? What's all this about? Well, this was the deal. Our forefathers were in Egypt. They were in a place of slavery. And God wanted us to come out 
to have freedom. He wanted us to have our own land. He wanted us to be a people. And so they could start telling that story. And this is what happened. And then God gave us Torah. He gave us the instruction for living so that we could live a fulfilled life, a life of purpose, a life of destiny. It wasn't a law to say, you must not do this, you must not do that. It was an empowering law to say, if you live by this, you won't have the need of any other gods before me. You won't need to commit murder. You won't need to covet your neighbor's ass or, you know, new car or whatever it might be. You'll you'll be empowered to live a fulfilled life and you'll be blessed. You will be a blessing. There'll be enough financing your bank account to take someone out for a meal during the month, to be able to give into all kinds of good works, to bless other people. We need to abound enough so that we can buy cars for someone else that's in need or provide other things. I'm dealing with God right now because I've had prophesied over me that that I'm an apostle of finance and I'll buy buildings for other people. Well, I haven't bought this for us yet and I'm thinking... You know, we've given, we've given a £1,000 here and a £1,000 there to help other places. I want to be able to give hundreds of thousands to buy buildings. I want to be able to give millions so that we can buy resource centres, apostolic centres around the nations. And God's connecting us and we're beginning to plant and do little things. But that is not enough. If I'm an apostle of finance, I have to have millions to be able to resource. How am I going to get it? I'm asking God that question because I'm a very practical person. I need to be rich to be able to enrich others. You need to be rich to be able to enrich others. It's not about having three cars in the garage, having big houses and all the rest of it. It's being a resource to others. It's having the joy and the excitement of being able to bless other people, of being able to give something anonymously, see somebody really excited about it, and then not knowing who's done it. It is. Not so I can have a star and aren't I wonderful because I've just done this, to be able to do it anonymously and see the excitement on somebody else and knowing that only God knows that. That's the joy of giving. It is true, it's better to give than to receive. It's more exciting than to be able to get something that you know is going to really thrill somebody else's heart. Wow. Build booths, sukas, they're temporary shelters. Build them and uh, have excitement and joy doing it. Because when Israel left, left Egypt... They lived in tabernacles for 40 years. Mind you, that was their own silly fault. If they'd have been obedient, they'd have gone in in double quick time. Somebody said, you know, they were led by men. And there were, the spies went out. If it had been women, they'd have asked for directions and they'd have gone into the promised land within a week. (laughs) But the men were too proud, so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God said, make me a tabernacle. Why? Because God is interested in a home and family. I preached a great message whilst I was away because I'd heard it from David Damien when we were over at Glory of Zion. And um, I preached some of that whilst we were in, in India about a home and the family. God is interested in families. That's why the family is under attack more than any other institution, organism, the family is under attack because it's God's plan. For family is the basis for society. A man and a woman producing children and then being fulfilled in God, in his plan, in his purpose, no curse, no war, no fighting, living in harmony, in prosperity on this planet, serving one another. That's God's plan. Satan hates it. He wants to take as many people to hell as he can. He wants to spoil everything that God has created. He wants to destroy the image and the identity of human beings. So he wants to make men who want to be women and women who want to become men. 
Men who want to live with men and then somehow adopt kids. Or women live with women and then somehow get a baby so that they can be a family. A family is a man and a woman, male and female, coming together in covenant, a blood covenant, when the virgin man and woman come together, there is the shedding of blood, there is a covenant that takes place, it's the highest covenant known to mankind, and they are covenanting together to be married as long as they both live. That is God's plan and purpose. And the fulfillment of that then is life that comes forth and life in society. Hallelujah. All on the earth. So, let's go back to this one because I like this. This, this, this um, PowerPoint thing here is Robert Heidler's and he's the, he's the master at this. So God said, make me a tabernacle so that God's glory, did you see that coming up? The glory of God, the Shekinah glory. Didn't matter which way the wind was blowing, whether it was a hundred mile an hour gale or whatever, that was vertical. Nothing can stop the glory of God. And at night, the fire of God, the Shekinah, you can do whatever you want to that, it ain't going to move. When the glory comes, the glory stays. The tabernacle was where God came down. And we've sent some of the glory. But I'll tell you what, there's a glory coming onto this earth because there is going to be a worldwide global revival before Jesus comes back. Amen. I know, Kevin, that people who were in church with us when we were teenagers... They logged into the meeting last night when I was doing FaceTime. Someone that we know very well was watching uh, our service last night that we've been praying for to come back to the Lord. They're watching what we're doing. And the prodigals are going to come back. Hallelujah. God's going to stir hearts again. Amen. Because we're going to give people something to live for. You know, men left the church because it was too... Mamby-pamby, wishy-washy, take it or leave it. And that's not what it is. We're an army going out to war. We've got a very real enemy to battle and it takes guts and courage, it takes backbone and it takes whatever that is in the personality of God that can be expressed through a male or a female. A man ought to be able to mother children just as a female mother's children. And a female needs to be able to discipline children just like a male can discipline children. It isn't one or the other. Have you got that? Because that came as a revelation when we had three young men with us in India that were living as women. And they were touched by the power of God. And I said, when Adam uh, had that rib taken out of him, he didn't have all the female personality bits built into this thing called a woman. He had a bone. And God made woman. But the personality of God, the characteristics of God, need to be expressed through male and female. But there is a coming together of us that expresses the fullness of God and we need each other. Don't ask me what the differences are. Because God is both. And we've been made in his image. And some of us haven't been just given female characteristics and others male characteristics. We ought to be able to do both. Men ought to be compassionate. Jesus said over Jerusalem, he said, I would long to have gathered you like a a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I wanted to do that. In other words, what we might class as a female thing, Jesus said, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to gather you together. I wanted to protect you. But you didn't want that. You rejected me. So all of us can express those characteristics. You ladies need to be firm when you need to be firm. Kick the devil out of your home, out of the environment that you're in. 
Get tough with him. Because we're seeing some characteristics that are coming through people who have been born male and they're getting very effeminate. And that is not how God wants us to be. Gone quiet on me. Amen? Men manning up. Women manning up. Being God. God don't mess about. God don't play with things. God makes a judgment and then that's it. Now there are times when we can repent over things and he will change his mind on situations like he did with King Hezekiah when he said, you know, this is it, buddy. And then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, repented before God and God said to the prophet, go back to him, tell him he's got an extra 10 years, whatever it was. You know, we can move the heart of God, but I'll tell you what, God is not weak and wishy-washy. Jesus is not a Santa Claus that we can mess about with. He's very real. Amen. Hey, is it ten to one? I was supposed to finish at half twelve. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Did you know Jesus was born at Tabernacles? You all know that. Great. I don't need to do it then. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, I think we're going to take a break. I didn't realise it was that time. You know, when I get preaching, it's just no good, is it? I should just stick to teaching, not get too excited. Jesus came and dwelt amongst us. And we're going to have a great time of fellowship around food together. We're going to try and come back about two, but somebody's taking 20 minutes of your lunch break. I'm sorry about that. Where did those last few minutes go. Half an hour went. Oh, it's 20 past 12 the last time I looked at it. What? Okay, so Lord, we want to bless this time of fellowship together. Father, bless the food to us. Father, may it do us good when we take in this break. May it just refresh us and so that we can come back fully ready for the next session in Jesus' name. Amen.